Hello and welcome to episode three of Matthew Unmuted. Today I've got a good friend and someone I worked with for four years on the podcast, Alan Goodman. Thanks for having me on and thanks for the delicious coffee. No problem, mate. I made it myself. Uh, no Starbucks, nothing like that. Um, we're going to be talking about male mental health in this podcast and Alan is going to give a little bit of a personal experience on what he's uh, experienced with mental health over the past, well, your whole life, right? Past 42 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, and before we do that, we're going to give some uh, some kind of insight into how we met uh, and when we worked together, some of the banter we had, um, because we know each other for, what, like five years now? Five years, yes. Yeah. And Happy we worked, anniversary. Happy anniversary, yeah. And the, the four years we worked together were, you know, there was no, no arguments in the gym, and we were only just the two of us, and there's nothing... Small gym, small club, but we made it work. Yeah. So uh, my personal favorite memory, uh, you can give yours afterwards, <laughs> um, was definitely the one when we were wearing the wigs when we were going to be doing the, the break free video. Um, because that video, it just, uh, yeah, it, just, it was way outside my comfort zone. And even wearing the wig, I was like embarrassed when people were walking past. Um, but then when you were doing those leg raises with me, I was just watched the back and thought, oh my God, what is happening right now? <laughs> Uh, and that video is still on my Facebook. Absolutely. <laughs> Alan Goodwin personal training. Uh, and your favorite memory, now I know this one as well. Um create you one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's gotta be the time when it was there was only three of us in the in the gym. So it was you and me, we were doing our, our deadlifts and Mr. Craig Noble, who's a good friend of both of us, was in and he, I think he'd just done a really set, a really heavy set of pull downs. Yeah. And he decided to rest on the treadmill and, <laughs> and he lay back on a treadmill, health and safety nightmare. Um, shut his eyes, I nudged you, crept over, and may have hit the start button on the treadmill, yeah. which then catapulted Craig into uh, a stack of weights. You are um, flying. Don't try that at home, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and to be fair to him, he took it so well, like an absolute gentleman, <laughs> because I deserved, I deserved to be punched for that. But it was one of these had to be there movements, a moment. And I think, I think if that had been filmed, we'd have been on the lad bible, and that would have got a lot of hits online. Oh man! Well, luckily the wig one is actually on, on Facebook. But Craig, if you're if you're listening to this, we are, uh, we're not sorry. No, um, not in the slightest. <laughs> not sorry at all. Um, another thing we did a lot of the squash club is listen to Rocky. Um, so on these podcasts, I usually give like a little quote and a tip and, and a, maybe a health fact. Um, so the quote is a rocky one. Uh, Alan will like this one. So every champion was once a contender who refused to give up. Love so, it. Yeah. Uh, honestly, that's that's always something we've talked about. The squash club is just, you know, it's so important to have that mental strength and push past things. And you used to watch me have tantrums on the squat and walk out of the studio. Like I would just, yeah. But you um, refuse to give up. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you're the same. Uh, so we are going to talk a little bit about uh, Alan's experience with uh, mental health. And we're going to start by going into a few of your stories. And uh, one of the stories I want to touch on is the 12 weeks you were away. Um, so that was, yeah, that was a that was a tough time for you. And just give any any stories, any backgrounds that you can, you can think of. Okay. Um... So we're going back to the beginning of 2019. So we're literally just a few weeks before my 40th birthday. Yeah. And I was going through a very, very difficult time in my life. And it had been building for, for quite a long time. A lot of unresolved childhood trauma had caught up with me. And I had started to unravel. Um, 
I was unable to function for several weeks and I was off work for three months. I was chronically depressed during this time and in the early stages of my breakdown, you know, I, I believed I was beyond repair. Yeah. But you came back strong. I remember the day you came back into the squash club, you just, yeah, you, you seemed a little bit off, but at the same time, we got back to training. Um, we even took that little selfie when you came back and that's right. Yeah. I could tell that that was a 12 weeks you just needed to, you need to have. Um, but yeah, I, I missed you at the squash club during that time. And I was, I was worried about you. Everyone was worried about you at the squash club. Um, but then this, this led to a pretty big change where you, you started doing the, the talks, which was, yeah, that was a big change for you. It was a big, a big experience, a big, a big turning point for you. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that came from, I mean, I was going through this, that, that 12 weeks, um, you know, that was a real kind of dark night of the soul for me. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a real hitting rock bottom. And during that time I used my savings to go to Peru for three weeks. Yeah. I, I remember as, that. As yeah. I'm sure you remember. And that was really the start of my healing journey. And while I was in Peru, I wrote about the events which led to my downfall and how I was slowly beginning to rebuild my life. Yeah. And we were doing the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. So it was literally out in the middle of nowhere, no electricity. Um, so I was I started journaling, I started writing down, you know, what I was going through, how I intended to heal, what I was going to do going forward. And I was doing that in the tent at night, you know, just a, a pad of paper and a pen. Speed forward six months, standing on stage in the in the largest theater in the Highlands. Um, crazy journey, delivering the talk, which became Mental Health Matters, the man behind the muscle, which you were a part of. Yes, uh, we yeah we we all were part of. It. I mean, there's so many. I remember it was it was my job to just go around with the the microphone, but I felt like I was you know I felt like I was there involved with the whole thing, which was amazing. Uh, and just hearing you speak like that, I. I you know, I'd I'd read the talk before. That's right, yeah. Um, but it was totally different hearing it come from you because it was way more powerful. Um, you delivered it just so well, and I just remember you looking like afterwards, just looking happy with the way you've done it. Um, but the second talk, now this is the one I want to talk about. Is the second talk? I think you came away from that thinking it was you didn't you didn't do a good job. But I thought the opposite. I thought you did an even better job the second time. Well, that's right. Yeah. So I mean. To give a bit of background, I originally did my first talk, the, the man behind the muscle, at the tennis and squash club to a sort of smaller audience because you know I needed to I needed to know it was going to work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I extended the talk, and that was when I went to Eden Court, um, and there was almost 150 people in attendance. Oh my god! Yeah, I remember. Um, I was sponsored by two local businesses. Appeared on national TV. I was interviewed by several newspapers and a local radio station. So that was that was where it all really hit home Kicked of, off, yeah. of the grandeur of, of what we were doing yeah. and, and how much it was needed as well. I agree. Um, I agree. Because, you know, when, you, when I first committed to doing this, it was when I was in Peru. And, uh, you know, I, I read out extracts of what I was writing to, to people that were on my tour. And they were saying, you know, you should go back to Scotland and deliver this. Um, and, you know, when, when that kind of seed is planted, you sort of think, well, you know, maybe a few friends will turn out. <laughs> to almost fill the the One Touch Theatre Eden Court was, that, that, that was life-changing. 
It's amazing. That that was yeah, really hit home for me. Just at the doors, just all the people coming in, I was like, this is incredible that everyone here just wants to listen to your story, and they also want to probably learn a little bit about mental health because yeah, guys don't talk about. You know? They they don't, and I think that that's what made me an ideal candidate for it. Really, was because I'm male. Um, I'm from the Highlands of Scotland, where we're a little bit behind with a lot of these things. Definitely. Um, and also, I'm in a macho industry. I'm a personal trainer. I lift heavy weights, exactly. so I was probably the most unlikely candidate. And I think that's what made it work. Well, that's why I wanted to mention as well when you, you know, when you put up, I think it was a, a Facebook post about your what's 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 been happening with you. I, I didn't expect. For it to be as bad because you were so um yeah you just you just seemed you seemed okay every day you came in with a smile um it was usually me that was actually the the one that would be more likely to be like that because i was always having little little moments of anxiety or stress but you were always just strong on the, the outside and uh, so i was i was shocked and so was so was everyone i think but this is this is the paradox of mental health was you were able to outwardly express it yeah which is a sign of strength because you were you were comfortable enough to be vulnerable to say, I feel anxious today. I feel whatever I'm going through today. Whereas that outward kind of um, coming across as strong, the paradox of being strong is it wasn't strong. It was all a front. But see, the the thing is with me is I was only doing it with people that I felt very comfortable with. So I would never have told, I would never have told my clients this or anyone that was just maybe like a little bit of a stranger, I would only tell close friends. And that's why I was telling you, because I needed you to know that if I was ever off, that was the reason. Um, but I've got a little fact here. So, um, something I, I want to kind of mention is just because male mental health is such a such a big topic nowadays, uh, but nearly one in 10 men experience depression and anxiety, um, which it just shows that so many people are affected. And the problem with it is less than half of these people will actually seek treatment and actually do anything about it, uh, which is a huge, I'll say a huge problem. But I want to kind of touch on the things that you would do now to, to deal with your mental health. So you've talked about to me as well, like meditation, exercise. How did you come through that process? It's really evolved over the last two years and, and it continues to evolve because I think I think the, the process is endless of, of self-improvement and you know, trying to turn to help oneself. Yeah. The very first thing I did was I committed to healing. Yeah. You know, I had these emotional wounds. They were they were always there. Um, you know, I tried to deny them by by putting on the front. I I, I armored up. You know, I hid I hid my emotions in my muscles. That, yes. was, that was my way of my way of coping was you know to get to build the physique. Um, which is what the man behind the muscle was really all about, yeah. was, was saying, you know, this is the man behind the muscle and this is what I have gone through. Um, so committing to healing and really engaging and embracing my pain. Helen Keller always says the only way out is through. I love that. I love that. Um, so I thought, right, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to face this. I'm going to have to deal with this because I'm 40 years old now and I don't want the next 40 years of my life. So I'm probably about halfway if you look at statistics of, of ages that people live to. Nah, mate, you live to your 100. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm making 100. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think, I think the big thing was just the realization of, right, okay, you know, I'm at a time in my life now, whether I accept it or not, that I'm, I'm, I'm becoming middle-aged um, and I don't want to carry on like this. I don't want to carry on pretending. And what what is the point? I'm pretending to myself. I'm pretending to other people. It's time to get real. Yeah. Get real, feel, and heal. 
I agree, mate. I agree. Um, so I decided that I was going to go into these wins. And that was one of the reasons why I initially went out to Peru and started writing the talks because they were initially really for me. It just so transpired that they helped so many other people, which was way beyond what I ever hoped would, yeah. would come of it. So that was the first thing. And then I found meditation and mindfulness, which is a great tool for, for the process, yeah. for the healing process. Um, so that was really where it began. And now I commit to daily meditation practice every day, sometimes two, three times a day. Um, and a bit like the exercise journey in the beginning, um, you don't see a lot happening. Yes. And there's that element of questioning why you're going through the process, because we live, we live in a society where we're all very impatient and we want instantaneous results. Yeah. Um, but over time, it started to evolve and I've started to feel the benefits of it. And now, you know, you'll have clients and I have clients where in the beginning exercise was, was, was a kind of like a big, big ordeal. Whereas now, you know, they, they can't go without their workouts. They can't go out of the workouts, yeah. Because they're now reaping the rewards and the benefits. And that's a journey I've had with meditation and mindfulness. So I don't meditate in a day. I don't feel as good mentally and emotionally yeah. and physically. You see Arne on a bench with his legs crossed meditating and that's just him getting into it. Flo floating above the river Ness. Was there any spot you like to go just for anyone who maybe is looking to meditate? Is there any spot you'd like to go just to do it outside? Is there anywhere you like to? Yeah, but I'm not telling you because people will come and steal my spot. <laughs> that's, a good, um... that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I go anywhere in nature. Anywhere in nature. Um, I especially fond of the benches down by the river Ness. Um, I sometimes go out to the, the sea locks at Clark Nahari. Oh, lovely. Um, sometimes walk up to the top of the cemetery. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, you're taking me up there as well. And get the views. Um, just any anywhere that is... I actually prefer meditating outdoors, even if the weather's rubbish, which is most of the time up here. Um, I just I just feel more connected when, when I'm in nature. Um, and would you say people can meditate in any way, even if it's just a walk, just going out and just... Just taking time in nature, or would you say it has to be a seated process? Because I've I've only done a little bit of meditation myself. Per personally, I I, th I think um, anything that's going to make you uncomfortable, so sitting in a specific way or in a certain environment that makes you uncomfortable, is going to defeat the process of doing meditation. Yeah, because what ultimately we're trying to do is we're trying to go inward, we're trying to be present, and we're trying to focus on how we feel in any particular moment. Yeah. So we're not trying to stop the mind. We're not trying to control the mind. What we're trying to do is observe the mind, be the witness, you know. So if we're feeling symptoms of anxiety or depression, rather than trying to control them, trying to stop them, trying to outmaneuver them, um, what we're ultimately trying to do is we're just trying to watch them. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we are not anxiety or depression. We are witnessing the anxiety or the depression from our kind of deeper, deeper, higher self. So you want to be in a place of comfort to do that. So as long as the spine's straight, it really doesn't matter. I, I personally like to do it on a bench. I like to do it on a chair. Sometimes I lie down. If I'm, you know, if I'm doing like a late night meditation, I'll, I'll do it in bed before I go to sleep. Um, but there's not really one, one size that fits all. Yeah. In, in terms of decisions. Basically, basically we're trying to say to you is like, you know, because when, when I've tried meditation, I, the problem I've had is I've not stuck with it. And it's just like we said with training, you have to stick with it. So anyone that is going to try it, you might feel a bit weird at first, but, you know, take it from Alan. He's he experienced that and he's come through that now and he does it every day. Um, multiple times a day, you said as well, sometimes. Sometimes multiple times a day, yeah. And 
I think what's difficult about it, especially in the initial stages, is ultimately what we're doing is we are, like I say, we're going into the wounds. We're going in inside ourselves and we're facing the stuff that we don't want to face. Yes. Um, and that does bring a lot of stuff up, certainly, certainly in the beginning. Um, but it's, it's such a rewarding process to do that. Well, one thing I want to mention on, on my side of things is when when I was going through my kind of um, anxiety spell, you, you were obviously there for me. And um, a conversation I won't forget is when we were in, I think we were in, was it, it was a coffee shop, I think. And we were just sitting there and I was telling you, I was like, I'm, I'm even right, I'm dizzy right now. Like I've got, I've got this massive dizziness. I feel like the room's kind of coming in on me. And we, we talked about that. And yeah, a, a combination of speaking with you and a lot of friends, family, that's what healed me. And then the process of lockdown and going out in nature more, um, my anxiety is not gone, but it's just, it's so much more controlled now. Like I don't have what I used to get in the squash club. I don't feel those feelings. So yeah, you're a big part of the, the healing process. I'm also obviously watching you come through it as well was, was big for me too. Glad to hear it. Yeah. And that, that really brings me to the next thing, which is something I really want to drive on this podcast, something that I do. So obviously started with the committing to healing, mindfulness meditation, but now I live by an acronym and it's not the most pleasant acronym <laughs> because the acronym is RASH. That's okay. Um, and I go into this in a lot more detail in my next talk, which hopefully I'll be announcing fairly soon. Um, just obviously with the whole COVID situation, public Good. gatherings, we don't know what's happening, but I have spoken to a local venue and they're very, very happy to have me on. Um, and this, in my opinion, is the best talk I've written because obviously I've evolved so much over the last couple of years. So, Rash, and I'm going to give you a wee exclusive here because I'm going to read a bit of my talk. I get um, to read it first as well. You get to <laughs> you get to hear it first on Matthew Douglas podcast. Lovely. It's getting an exclusive. Oh, I love it. So this this is my third mental health talk. Um, because that's something we didn't we didn't quite say was I actually delivered a second talk up at the UHI uh, February last year just just before the whole pandemic. And they're amazing uh, one as well, really good. That was a sellout. Yeah, I, sellout. I, I, I that one really hit home with me because there was a lot of things you brought up in that one that were were relevant. Um, well, that I mean that's the plan is to get people really thinking and looking at themselves. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the third talk I, I've written it over the last year. Um, and it's called The Unwanted Visitor. And it's basically about um, depression as the unwanted visitor or yeah. mental health in general. Yeah. We don't want it, you know. And when it comes to us, what do we want to do? We want to push it away and we want to resist it. And what I've learned is to do the opposite. So what RASH basically stands for is recognize, accept, share, and heal. Okay. So let me read a little bit about this. Excited for it. Okay, print it off, a little bit of talk. You can't outthink, outrun, or outmaneuver depression. Attempting to do so will only drain your energy further. It took me a long time to realize this and to come to terms with my depression. And it took a long time for me to learn strategies to help me cope when I am in distress. For me personally, these steps have been more effective than medication and formal therapy. So step number one, recognize and accept your experience. We have a natural tendency to avoid pain and discomfort, but our attempts to deny our suffering often cause us to suffer more deeply. 
I was stuck in my depression for a long time because I resisted it. You survive depression by facing it. This means welcoming it with open arms. I often imagine I'm sitting alone in a room with, when depression comes calling. In the past, I would have boarded up the door to stop it getting in. But the harder I tried to keep it outside, the more fearful I became. Nowadays, I open the door, greet it with a warm smile and, and invite it in to sit with me by the fire. Sometimes we sit in silence and I do nothing other than observe its presence until it is ready to leave. On other occasions, it just seems a bit more intent on making me feel insignificant and unworthy of my place in this world. During these visits, we talk. I listen to what it has to say. Then I explain I know it has come to steal my happiness, but it's not gonna happen. Bullies like to intimidate their victims. They lose their power when you stand up to them and call them out on their behavior. And no one will ever intimidate me again, not even my own mind. I have a healthy respect for the unwanted visitor we call depression, but I don't fear it anymore. The first thing you have to do to overcome this mental disease is embrace your inner experience. Do this each time it knocks on your door and it will leave eventually because no feeling is permanent. So that's the first part. That's that's a recognize and accept. And oftentimes that's enough. That's that is bit. enough to make you feel better. So powerful, man. Then the second part, I'm not gonna blab on too much longer because I appreciate that was quite long. The second part is when you feel that you will benefit from talking like you did with me in the yeah. coffee shop, okay? Because sometimes the whole kind of, okay, well, this is how I feel. I recognize my experience and that's what meditation mindfulness does for me yeah. because that's how that's how I recognize and accept my experience because I'm going inward, okay? The second part, the share and heal. When I first talked on stage about my experience of mental illness, I was asked if it was the most difficult thing I've done. I explained that not talking about my problems is the most difficult thing I have ever done. When I told my story, people shared their experiences with me and I realized I was not alone in what I had gone through. And for someone with mental health problems, that realization can be life-changing. Depression needs silence to survive. When we talk about it and listen to others who have been affected, it starts to lose its power over us and we feel less alienated. And when we feel heard and understood, that's when the healing really begins. There's an exclusive from my next talk. Mate, that's gonna get that's gonna get a really good Whoa. response. You can just tell. Um, yeah, goosebumps and understand that. Oh mate. I, just such a good writer as well. Like just incredible. Um and how long a process has it been writing this last talk here? That talk probably took longer than all the other ones I've written so far put together. So I've written four now. Four I've, talks. I've written four talks. I've delivered two of them. Um, and I think this one I've just, just read extracts from. Um, it's from it, it's come from a more empowered place. Because I think when I first started the talks, I was still a little bit in that kind of victim mode. It was still a little bit of, you know, this is what I've gone through. It's been really tough. Whereas now it's coming from a place of someone who's really on a healing journey. And I got a lot of work to do. You know, I, I'm, I'm a work in progress. I'm still 
you know, I still have incredibly difficult days, difficult times. But who, who doesn't? Everyone does. Um, but that's that's part of being human, isn't it? Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it took the longest because I had to go to a very very deep dark place inside myself. Yeah. Um, because I'm sharing, it's it's not just a, a kind of survival guide. In my talks, for anyone that's not not been at one of my talks or heard one of my talks, they are. You know, I, I try to be very honest. I try to be very vulnerable, and I talk a lot about my own experiences, which is good. You know, That's my own childhood yeah. experiences, and I've gone into a lot of that in in this this talk. Yeah. Hoping I'll be delivering it this year, but well, it really just depends on how things play out, COVID wise. You know. I hope so too, and I, I hope people get to hear that because, yeah, it's incredible. Uh, it's, it's something we all need to hear as well after all these lockdowns and everything. Just, just there's even story. more need for it now, isn't there? absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, now if you want to check out his talks from the previous ones um they're on youtube um, yes mental health matters the, mind, the man behind the muscle uh, is on youtube and it's also on my facebook page on your facebook as well um alan goodwin uh, personal training and on youtube i guess if we type in emmy and me it'll come up it'll be there but if not we can link it i can link it on my instagram my, yeah my link, well. it, link it and if just in case people want to want to hear more i think <laughs> want to hear more of my my uh <laughs> Drivel nonsense. No, they want to hear these stories because sometimes, some sometimes a person just needs to hear it from someone else, uh, and that's what I said in the second talk when you talk when you were speaking about your experience. I needed to hear that, and everyone else in the audience needed to hear it as well because it, it just feels you, you feel like you're not alone in that situation. And like I say, and that that for somebody with mental health problems is that that can save somebody's life. Yeah, you know. Um, I mean, and and to be honest, my my life changed when when I did that. Um, you know, I've always loved being a personal trainer, but when I when I stood on stage in Eden Court that night, I I knew what my mission was. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it was probably the first time in my life when I felt truly alive, um, because I knew that I'd reached a point of acceptance that I couldn't change or undo my past, um, and I couldn't suppress my pain any longer. Big, and, I, and I didn't want to. Oh, it, it was time to face it. A um, big big turning point for for you. Um, but yeah, we, we, we've been good friends for five years now. And, you know, after the squash club ended, I was always like, I was like, worried. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be able to keep in touch with Alan. But we have. And we don't work out together, but we're great, great friends now. And yeah. hopefully we can get back to working out together. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yes. So I, yes. I would I would definitely check these talks out, um, especially the people who've listened through this whole podcast. Check these talks out because they will, they will help you and they will make you realize you're not alone. Um, but yeah, this has been episode three, and I hope you've enjoyed Alan's stories. Um, I'd like to get you back on again at some point, and we can maybe do a different topic next time. We can even talk about a fitness topic. We'll talk uh, about. But <laughs> before we end the podcast, mate, I would I would like to recognise you for the progress that you've made. Thank and, you. you know, in the in the five years I've known you, you've you've talked about how I've I've helped you, and and it's been an honour to be a part of your journey. But Thank you. to see how much you've evolved over the last five years, when you think about when you came to the squash club, you guy, <laughs> early twenties, a little bit out of your comfort zone, um, and seeing how you've evolved, particularly in the last year as well. Yeah, I think for you personally, COVID has in many regards been the making of you. Yeah, I think um, so too. Watching how much you've you've literally progressed, not not just in your business, but as a person as well. And this podcast is evidence of that. Yeah, you know. No, I, I really, so, I really agree, and I think COVID was was a blessing for me actually, and yeah. um, just allowed me to do things, things like this, the podcasts, the videos, um, but it's the support network as well. All the clients, the people around me, friends, family, uh, they make it all worthwhile. So, yeah, good. right. I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, I'll be back on next time. We'll try and 
we'll try and um, give a little fitness topic or something. Yeah, we'll maybe we'll actually talk a, about fitness. Seems we'll, like we're PTs, we'll eh? get a debate going and we'll uh, yeah, we'll teach some stuff as well. I hope you all enjoyed, guys, and uh, yeah, 